Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 286 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by... You know who it is. It is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how we doing, my man? We're good. We're good. Everything's moving pretty well. So Good to go today, man. How good about to you? Good today. I'm always good when speaking with you, actually, Eddie, if you didn't know already. Yeah, now I like you know. <laughs> like it. <laughs> okay, getting on to the review part of the show. We're going to dive straight in here at the Caesars Palace in Dubai. Um, over here on the undercard, I should mention, just one fight, really. Uh, Donny Nietes with a win. He's now 43-1 and one with five draws. A unanimous decision win over 10 against Pablo Carrillo, who's now 25-8 and eight with a draw. It was for the vacant WBO International Super Flyweight title. Donny Nietes, obviously... In a bit of a step down, really. He's a, he's a four-weight world champion, I believe. Um, pretty much at the tail end of his career, though. But anyway, that was it for the undercard. We were supposed to get a fight between one guy who was undefeated and Tyrone McKenna. The guy who was undefeated actually pulled out, I think, uh, the day before, which was a you know a kick in the nuts for Tyrone McKenna, even though I think you know McKenna was quite a hefty underdog. But anyway... That aside, moving on to the main event, the only fight really that mattered for me last weekend. Jamel Herrin successfully defended his WBO Super Featherweight World title with a sixth round TKO against Carl Frampton. Jamel Herrin now 23-2, Frampton now 28-3. He decided to retire at the end of the fight, Carl Frampton. We'll get onto that in a moment, but the fight itself, just going to whiz through what I saw. Um... First round was was a really close round for me. Heron was on the front foot for most of it. It was kind of a feel-out round. Heron round for me, maybe just about. Round two, another Heron round for me. Uh, much easier round to score than the first round. Heron was able to hit Carl Frampton with a number of big-looking backhands. Frampton did have one or two moments, but for me, Jamel had much more uh, success than Carl. Um, round three, a close round again. I think I probably just about edged it to Herrin still. Carl seemed to struggle with the jab of Herrin, and he was just unable to get up close, you know, so much so that at times he would lean over too far over his front foot, and Jamel would catch him with like a like a lead right hook and spin off of it. Um, Herrin in the fourth round was cut over his or on his right eyelid. Uh, another close one, like I say, but arguably a Frampton round there, because I think he made kind of more noise with opening the cut. Um, not sure if it was from a head clash or a punch. Every time Frampton landed one or two nice shots, though, Jamel would land one or two of his own as well. It was a close one, but a, a Frampton round for me. Round five, Frampton was really starting to pick up the pace. He was putting Herring under pressure. Um, it looked uncomfortable as well for a couple of, of seconds for Herring, but then Carl Frampton walked 
right into a straight left hand. He got a little bit too excited. Down he went. He went, you know, he went down uh, quite hard. He got back up, and after that, Jamel was able to box really cleverly. He was in charge again. He was stepping in and out. In and out. Uh, big round for Jamel, a 10-8 round there. And then, obviously, in the sixth and final round, down Frampton went a left uppercut. It was kind of, I think, like a bit of a screw shot. Kyle got back up, but he was all over the place. Jamel started loading up with big shots, and the and the towel came in. Definitely the right decision. We will be speaking to Jamel very shortly, actually, because there's not too much to review. Um, yeah, the highlights in between the rounds, they were heavily favoring Kyle Frampton, cons- considering he only won maybe one round or two rounds at a push, I think. Um they were showing so many of his highlights, it was kind of starting to play on my mind. Are they trying to influence people at home or what? Uh, it was a really tiny ring as well, which I think was in Carl Frampton's favor. And like I say, he retired in the ring. Um, it was the right time for me. You know, he hasn't gone on too long. He's still got his health intact. He's still got, um, you know, perfect speech. He's made good money out of the sport. And for me, he's gone at the right time. Like I say, he's got a good legacy. No shame at all. You know, he was a two-weight world champion and very nice guy. I wish him all the very best in retirement. And he brought us some great nights, you know, against Kiko Martinez on two occasions, against Leo Santa Cruz on two occasions, against Scott Quigg. Um, I would have liked to see him take on a couple of other guys. You know, the Rigondo fight was there at one point. It perhaps was a bad fight for him. The Oscar Valdez fight was there at one point for him. You know, but... All in all, very, 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 very good career. Exemplary career. And I wish him all the best in retirement. You know, it's it's almost sad to see a big name go, um, you know, from Britain and Ireland. And, um, yeah, he, he, he was a big name. He is a big name. And I wish him nothing but the best. He, he did excellent and made his mark. And he's in the history books and he deserves it. A really good guy, apparently. Hopefully I can get him on the podcast at some point in the coming, I don't know, um, coming years, I don't know, I'd love to get him on at some point in the future, we shall see, I'll I'll keep trying to get him on, um, but yeah, that was my analysis of the fight, and like I say, we'll be speaking to Jamel shortly, but what was your take on it, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, from what I saw, um, you know, Carl Frampton, busy, talented, you know, vibrant in, in the ring, does a lot of good things, you know, but I mean, right from the beginning, you know, from what I've seen, I'm, I'm mostly dealt into the highlights. I mean, you could just see not quite, you know, what you're used to seeing from him. You know what I'm saying? But I think obviously a lot of it had to do with Jamel. But I think it's also his, you know, he's taking a little step back. And, that, you know, it happens. You know what I mean? Everybody has that time in their career at some point. And the good thing for him, but I'm really, you know, happy that he understood it and he realized it. And he's not overly you know, confident in himself and figure, oh, well, that was just a bad, a bad night. He understands it. He knows that it, it it's time to step back. But, you know, Jamel, sky's the limit. You just got to keep it going. You know what I mean? He, he showed more power than I, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, I don't even know uh, what his recent fights were like as far as knockouts and things like that. But he showed good power and accuracy. You know, and he showed he can box, but at the same time, give one and take uh, take one and give one you know what I mean so there's 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 a lot to take from this fight for Jamel and a lot that he uh you know can you know a lot, a lot obviously in showing you know him beating a guy like Frampton even at this stage of career in the in, 
even at this stage in his career, uh, and the way he did it, you know what I'm saying, by stopping him in six rounds, really shows that he's a force. And um, there's some fights out there for him. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in Jamel's career uh, uh, going forward. Yeah, and I echo that. I think it's it's an interesting word you say when you say uh, Carl Frampton took a step back or is taking a step back because it's yeah. funny because he, he almost took a step too far, I think, going up to super featherweight, you know, in terms of stature. But, yeah, yeah it's an interesting yeah. play on words. Um, Carl, Carl Frampton, like I say, all the best in retirement. Uh, Jamel Herring, I was really impressed, you know, really, really impressed. It was one of his best performances of his career for sure. Um, it's out of this one here and his, you know, his, his night that he won the world title against Masayuki Ito. Um, one of those is, is definitely his best performance. But to stop Carl Frampton is a big statement. Um, and yeah, he looked really, really good, Jamel. He boxed excellent up close at range. His power did show, and it hasn't done in many of his fights. He's not known for his knockouts, and that's why I did not expect him to stop Carl Frampton at all. But um, credit to him, like I say, looking forward to speaking to him. Anyway, that's it for Dubai. Moving out now to... I'm not really going to talk about these, but there's so many guys in Thailand with these amazing records. Like, there was one guy... Um, who who moved to 60 and 1 on the weekend. Um, there's also another guy who moved to 59 and 4. Uh, he, he was boxing a guy who was 3 and 8, by the way. <laughs> and um, another guy in a different venue moved to 51 and 1 with a draw. He was taking on a guy who had a record of 5 and 5 with a draw. So we know how they're getting to these big numbers, but it still blows my mind seeing some of them like 60 and 1. It's just like, what the heck? Anyway, um, moving out now to Uzbekistan. This is the final card to mention. I'm just going to fly through this. I didn't actually watch it, so I'm I'm probably doing a disservice to the listeners here. But on the undercard, um, Shakram Giasov with a win. He's now 11-0. and 0. He was able to stop in three rounds Patricio Marino for the WBA International Super Lightweight title. Marino now 28-5. and 5. Elsewhere on the card, Israel Madramov, um, 6-0 and 0 with five KOs going in. Against this guy, Imani Colombo, who was 14-0 and with 14 KOs. So between the pair, 20 fights, 19 KO victories, uh, both unbeaten, of course. And it ended up going the distance, which no one, I think, predicted. Uh, Colombo was down in the 8th round. He pretty much lost every round on the cards in the end. A 10th round a unanimous decision there for Israel Madrimov. But the main event, Murajon Akhmadaliev, MJ they call him, um, he's now 9-0. and A TKO for him in round 5 against Ryosuke Iwasa, former world champion, now 27-4. and It was for um, Akhmadaliev's WBA and IBF super bantamweight titles. Like I say, didn't watch the fight, so I apologize if anyone's mad and was waiting for my analysis on that one. Uh, but anyway, that's it for the review part. Like I say, we've flown for it, and it's now time to speak to the man that we were mentioning for most of this review segment, uh, and that man is Mr. Jamel Herring. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBO Super Featherweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Jamel Herring. Jamel, welcome back on the show, my brother. 
Hey, it's great to be back, and it's great to be back at the champion cell. <laughs> absolutely, man, absolutely. So, Jamel, we last spoke back in early February. Uh, the fight was originally set to take place, of course, later that month. It ended up getting pushed back six weeks. Uh, let's talk about it, man. You must be really happy with your performance on the weekend. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Even with all the postponements and the setbacks, I still kept that, you know, that hunger and that motivation, and it it clearly showed up the night of the fight. So it, it all it showed up when it when it mattered most, and I'm happy about that. And I'm so proud because I know personally you've you've wanted that fight for for a long time above anything. You know, as soon as the fight was mentioned, you wanted that fight. Um, changing the tone slightly, how is your eye, Jamel? And what actually happened to open oh, the cup because they didn't show a replay? Um. My eyes are right. My eyes actually doing pretty better than the last cut. To be honest with you, my eyes actually doing pretty good. I only got like that, like three or four stitches that that are, that are placed in my on my eyelid. But I don't know if it came from um, a brush of his head or if it was a legit punch. Because like you said, I I could you couldn't even when I, when I watched the broadcast myself, I couldn't really see because there was um, there was no replay or anything about how how the cut was made. So, but my eye overall, my eye is good. And one thing that that stuck out to me, um, I just want to point it out as well. Um, I, this not not to be negative, but they kept showing Carl Frampton's highlights in between rounds over here. Um, I don't know if it's the same broadcast back home, uh, you know, w- when they showed it on on ESPN Plus. But I was just thinking, what the hell is going on? Like you were winning these rounds, but they showed all of his best moments in the rounds. Even even the the <laughs> round you, the round you put him down in, they showed five highlights in between. You know, at the end of that round to the start of the the next round, and four of them were Carl Frampton highlights and one of them was the one where you knocked him down you know it was just uh bizarre but you know weird stuff um yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> I, I i didn't get that i didn't get that same um that same result on my end thank god i, I think i would have lost it myself but um but no that, that, that you're actually the first to mention that I, we didn't get that same um highlight reel on the espn side okay okay well yeah it was definitely apparent you know i was thinking to myself what are they What's going on here? What are they? What are they trying to influence? I don't know. Anyway, um, I did lose some money betting on the fight, Jamel, because I didn't see you stopping him. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had two bets going on. Uh, I had I had for you to win on points, and I had for you to get the knockout in round seven to twelve. You got him out in the sixth. Oh, you, you, yeah, you got him out. You got him right, should, right before. I should have told yeah. you this. <laughs> the towel, the towel got thrown in, obviously, and it was the perfect decision to make from Carl's corner. I think you agree with that, Jamel. It was uh, it was the right time. Yes, 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 yes. Um, um, much respect to Jimmy Moore, um, for starters, but um. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually thought I was going to just put on a great, I, but I felt in my heart I was going to put on a, a great boxing display, but I wasn't expecting, you know, for it to be to end, you know, just right at the halfway mark of the fight. But, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for, in terms of his health. I'm glad that Jamie stopped it when he did. Because I, I seen him, people were kind of questioning why I turned my back, but I, cause I seen Jamie with the towel in his hand, and I seen when he stood up, and I seen when he threw it. So there was no purpose for me, you know, causing any more damage to a guy that was clearly defeated. And I have, you know, and I, and I always have a, a great amount of respect for Carl Frampton. So I just didn't feel the need to, you know, potentially end, you know, potentially throw another devastating blow 
that could have affected him, you know, even worse in the outcome. So I'm glad Jimmy stopped it when he did. Jamel, you talk about turning the turning of the back. Is this in reference to what one person said on Twitter? Yeah, I think that one person is overall. He just has something against me. I like I. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Jamel. He was actually talking about you. I think he was saying that Carl Frampton turned his back. That's what I believe. I mean, he but said. yeah, but he he, he 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 has in the past said like some negative things about me because he he thought he was going around telling people that you know Frampton was going to beat me and that would be Frampton's best win at 130 pounds or so. So he has a he he's known for being basically being a troll, but okay. at the same time, you know, um, um, whether he's talking about me or Frampton, I I just took it as you know, don't you know give the guy some credit, you know, like he he's a he's a true gent, he's a she's a true champion and. You know, um, I have more respect for Carl than to, you know, than to bash for myself. As you, as you see, I, I didn't take any, you know, I I, didn't, I was I wouldn't even speak negative about Carl Frampton, let alone I wasn't going to allow anyone else to speak negative about him as well. Yeah, just for anyone listening that hasn't got a clue what we're talking about, there was one guy that saw a little clip that was posted on Twitter of the stoppage, and the guy basically said that Carl Frampton turned his back and, you know, tried to make it as if Carl Frampton quit. Now, what the little clip doesn't show is that a towel, a white towel, had just flown across the, the air, and Carl Frampton had seen it, and obviously, as you would, you turn straight around to your corner, um, and that's basically what happened, but the angle didn't show that, and the guy that said it on Twitter probably didn't even bother to watch the fight, and he's just seen a little clip, and it's just negative stuff. Exactly. Carl didn't turn his back. The fight was over at that point anyway. You have to turn around at some point. You can't walk backwards to the airport, can you, Jamel? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, but like I said, I'm, I'm just glad that um, you know, Carl is okay. Um, yeah. And you know, like uh, I, I just like, like I said, I'm just glad. I'm, I just hope, I just hope he's okay. You know, you know, he's recovering well. And again, I just want to thank him for allowing me to share the ring with him because I always been a fan of Frampton's. And um, he's, he's he's a great he's a great human being overall. And um, you know, he has a wife and kids such as myself. And I just want to see him go home and you know safely and and live out live out the rest of his life. And you know, in, in peace. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. Um, after the fight, Jamel, you alluded to the fact that that you've you know you've talked about it for a while now, but you you mentioned about moving up in weight. Um, where is your head at in terms of that right now? Um, my head right now is in, is actually I want I want to fight the number one guy in my heart, who I believe is the number, the, the number one guy, which is Oscar Valdez. He clearly um, stated that he was watching the fight between me and Carl. And that um, you know, he that was a, that, that was a fight that interested him. So if, if he wants to make that fight, and I, I'm sure he does, you know, I, I would stay, you know, for at a, um at a super featherweight to make that fight. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the only that's basically the only thing that's keeping me at super featherweight is that fight because it also gives me the opportunity to become the lineal champion. And I respect, you know, and we all know I respect boxing history, and I feel like. In order to be the best, you have to be you have to at least become the lineal champion of your division. And I know I know for a fact, you know, we should be the top the top, you know, two to fight for that title. After after we both had a great performance this year. And you you know, you mentioned there you'd stay at one thirty for that fight. Is that literally the only fight? The only like there's only one fight that'll keep you at one thirty, is that the one? No other fight? Yeah, because that one that one that one will, will submit my legacy. 
um, especially as a featherweight. Um, I mean, not only will I be able to to win another world title, which is which is big, but I will also, you know, be able to fight for the um, the Ring Magazine world title. And I'm all right now. I'm I'm about you know cementing my legacy with with the, with the biggest fights that that'll play out that that'll play big in my resume. And one person on Twitter that follows us, they, they asked, you know, if you'd be allowed by the WBO to unify or would you have to defend against Shakur? What's the situation with that, Jamel? Do you know? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't fully know the situation. Um, but for, most, for the most part, I will, I'm not going to lie. It does look like they, they, they want me to, you know, um, you know, follow my mandate, which I respect because I, I respect the WBO. They've been great to me. But it, it, it may look like if I don't if I don't follow that I, I may potentially get stripped. But you know I, I'm not I'm, you know I'm grateful for what the WBO has done for my career. They gave me an opportunity to to fight for their title, and and I defended it successfully three times. But if, if you look if you if you had, if you were if you were a fighter and you had a way at the options, what would you do? Would you fight another mandatory or would you go for another world title and potentially the number one spot of the total pole? Along with the lineal world championship, with the Ring Magazine championship on, on the line as well, so that that's that's the reason. That's the only reason why I would consider, you know, going through that, going through that trouble, is potentially you know being able to you know fight for the um the, line, the lineal um title right along with, with a second world title that I could, that I could add to my resume as well. So I can't complain about that. Okay, and um, obviously you haven't moved up yet. You may not move up, but is there any fights at lightweight that kind of excite you? Um, that's a good question. I, I actually haven't really thought that far because for the longest, my main focus was solely on Frampton. I never, and you know, I've never been that fighter to always to look ahead of things. You know, I wanted to take care of one thing at a time, and you know, to me, Frampton was a big fight for my career. That that was my big moment. You know, that was my mega fight up until that point. So I wasn't going to look past that. You know, it's like, you know, when somebody's fighting maybe a Floyd, you don't want to look past Floyd. Like, Floyd's the biggest thing of your career at the time. And for me, Frampton, Frampton was the biggest thing for me. So that that was my moment. And I just wanted to focus on Frampton. Even when I even when I had an idea of moving up to lightweight, I wasn't really focusing on who I would target. I was just focusing on, first and foremost, I had to get the victory then, and then move up to lightweight. So, I, but right now, I still can't tell you because right now, again, my main focus is trying to get the Valdez fight done. And of course, there's rumors. Um, I want to talk about two of your gym mates quickly here. There's rumors that we're going to get a big fight announcement involving Terence Crawford in the very near future. Have you got any idea when we're likely to hear anything? Um, I, I don't have an idea when you're likely to hear things, but I but. Those rumors that you're hearing about, you know, the big fight are are, are true, are you know are you know I know they they're, I know they're trying to basically close out on those deals before they make it before obviously before they make that announcement. But I'm I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping it's soon because I'm I'm even you know interested in, and excited to see if if obviously one of those fights is the Manny Pacquiao fight, of course. But um I can't I can't tell you when they'll make the announcement, but I know. They've been working very hard behind the scenes in terms of um, closing out closing out a deal. And one thing that you will know the answer to your you, your other gym mate Maurice Hooker, he put in a real brave performance a few weeks back against Virgil Ortiz. Obviously, he suffered a broken hand in the fight. How is he, Jamel? Have you been able to speak to him after that? Um, you know, Mo, Mo's been in good spirits. He's been good in spirits. And um, let me just um, once again congrats my my good friend Virgil Ortiz for you know a good performance. 
Um, but yeah, Maurice has been fine. You know, he's been home with with the family, enjoying the time off. It's been a long camp, and you know, he's just he's just healing up and resting. But he he plans on he plans on returning. You know, to returning. Um, I think I believe in maybe a, a couple of months. But um, yeah, Mo, he's been he's been all right. He's been doing all right. All right, man. Wicked stuff. Good stuff. Uh, that's that's the whole gym doing well. That's that's excellent to hear. And just finally, Jamal, if you've got any closing words, I always like to throw the microphone over to you and let you say a couple of things before we wrap things up. Um, I just want to say, you know, uh, once again, you know, just thank you, man. I appreciate you for always being a great support to me as well and um, allowing me to speak for your platform. It's been great over the years. Um, like literally, you've been around since I made that transaction two top rank and you know eight fights later <laughs> here we are and we're still talking about bigger and better things in the near future but i also want to thank my um you know my support my support the fans have given me um i'm actually excited and honored to have gained more of the uk and irish fans in just this past weekend and i want to thank them as well for you know just being kind-hearted and giving me that giving me um great much support and you know i look forward to doing um bigger things in the, and hopefully in the near future but the Valdez fight is definitely something that I truly want um, I would love to add that WBC title to my to my you know to my collection along with that ring magazine title as well and if anybody wants to reach out to me they know where to find me at man um, at Jamel Herring on Instagram or Twitter and once again like I said thank you man it's always a pleasure, Jamel. It truly is. I remember the first time we ever had you on at the time you were 15 and 0. That's, uh, that's some time ago now. <laughs> but listen, man, right, as yeah. you already know, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, Jamel. Thanks for your time, and we'll, we'll speak again soon for sure. Thank you, man. You take care of yourself, man. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Not too much to go over, so if anything develops from now to the end of the show, I will mention it. At the very end, um, Jose Zapida will be boxing on May 22nd against Pedro Camper. Um, that's going to be on the undercard, by the way, of um, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. So it's good to have another big 140 fighter. When I say a big, I mean I mean like a big name on the undercard there, Jose. He, he will have a lot of interest invested in that. And Callum Johnson obviously recently signed with Frank Warren. He is out in action straight away, April the 24th. Really pleased for him. Um, you know, it, it's been frustrating following his career because he's a guy who I think is very capable of winning a world title. I'd love to see him in with Baturbiev in a rematch. I'd love to see him in with someone like a Bivol or... You know, lots and lots of, of fights for him. Lots and lots of great fights for him at light heavyweight. But it's been frustrating because he's been very inactive. He lost that fight to Baturbiev back in 2018. He's had one fight since, you know. And it was a great win against Shawnee Monaghan when he boxed out in the States in um, New York. And he's done nothing since then. So it's it's actually been over two years. He's going to be back, like I say, April 24th. There's a belt on the line. It's the WBO Global Light Heavyweight title. He takes on Emil Markic, um, who's 32-2. and two. Just having a little look for his record, because the name doesn't ring too many bells, to be honest. But he has a win against Thomas Adamek, but the fake Thomas Adamek, not the one that you boxed, Eddie. There is a fake Thomas Adamek. Um, who's got a record as it stands of 29 and 19 with two draws. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, this guy, he's got two losses. One was to Umar Salamov. That's not a bad loss there. And the other one was actually to Shefat Isufi. 
Um, but aside from that, he doesn't really have any brilliant wins, so that should be a, a nice, comfortable return to the ring there for Callum Johnson. Um, anyway, yeah, good news for him, friend of the show. That is it, though, for the news. Like I say, not much to go over there. Jumping on now to the preview part of the show, one fight to mention um, that's happening later today in Grozny, Russia. Over here, just one fighter to, to keep an eye on. Apti Davtaev, 20-0 with one draw. 19 KOs. He was supposed to box Lucas Brown quite a while ago. The fight fell through. I'm not quite sure why. He's back in action here in a 10-rounder against Jack Malawai, who is 9-2 with a draw. Um... Coming now to the Copper Box Arena. This is a big one, of course, happening over here. Um, Savannah Marshall on the card. Not quite sure what's happening there. She's defending her WBO female middleweight title. She's 9-0, like I say, over 10 two-minute rounds. Her opponent, Femke Hermans, um, I think she's pulled out. So, not sure what's happening with Savannah. While we're recording this at the minute, she doesn't yet have an opponent listed, so I'm not sure if she's going to be completely pulled off the card altogether, or they're going to fly someone in late notice. We shall see. Elsewhere on the card, Shannon Courtney, 6-1, takes on Ebony Bridges, 5-0. That one's actually for the vacant WBA World Female Bantamweight title over 10 two-minute rounds. I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to that fight. Um, <laughs> some people are probably going to switch off the podcast right there, but I am looking forward to it because... Not for the reasons that a lot of boxing fans, well, I say boxing fans, a lot of people want to see this fight for other reasons, but for me, it's an interesting one because Ebony Bridges has got this huge fan base for for reasons other than her boxing, I think, and Shannon Courtney is kind of like love, loved or hated, I guess, so... But she can box as well. I don't think she's that bad. So I'm really interested in that fight. Um, I'm actually going to be watching that one with with a legal eye. You know, I, I like that. Um, anyway, elsewhere on the card, we get to see Alexander Espinosa. He's got a record of 20-2 and two with two draws. Uh, he defends his WBC International Silver Bantamweight title against Cash Farouk. Again, um, Cash Farouk's a guy who signed with Matchroom and it's been quite slow. You know, he had that fight with Lee McGregor. It was very close. Lee McGregor's gone on to become a European champion and his fight fell through against um, Karim Guelfi about seven or eight times. And, you know, he's become a European champion, whereas uh, Cash Farouk, who a lot of people felt won that fight, by the way, hasn't really done anything. But anyway, he's back here, like I say, against Alexander Espinosa. Um... Alexander Espinosa's from Nicaragua. He's got those two losses that I mentioned. One was, I'm going to speak about the most recent one. It was back in 2019 to Dixon Flores, a guy who Cal Yafai wiped out in a round. And Dixon Flores was actually able to stop um, Alexander Espinosa in two rounds. So, yeah. Um, Cash Farouk, for me, a big favorite in that one. And the main event, of course, it's going to be a fun fight, I think. Connor Ben, 17-0, defends his WBA Continental Welterweight title against Samuel Vargas, 31-6 with two draws. That one's over 10 rounds as well. 
Um, I like the fight. I really like the fight. Some people don't, and I understand why. I think that Conor Ben has massively improved, and he's probably not that same fighter that he was a couple years ago, where he just wanted to bang it out. And, you know, there were times where he looked extremely vulnerable when doing that. He's come on leaps and bounds. He's improved massively. However, I still think it's a good fight because Samuel Vargas is quite durable. And when I say durable, I actually mean durable at the top level. I think the fight definitely goes into the second half. That's for sure. Um, and, you know, he's got, a, he's got a decent chin. And he's got some, some pop. More pop than I think his, uh, his, his record would suggest. I remember him putting Amir Khan in a lot of trouble. And, yeah, he's only really been beaten by the top guys. I mean, he's coming off a loss, so it's probably the right time to get him. You know, he's coming off that loss to Virgil Ortiz Jr. But that's Virgil Ortiz Jr., um, who's a tremendous fighter. He's got the other loss to um, Louis Calazzo. That was a close one. Amir Khan, obviously, where he dropped Khan. Um, but, you know, he, he lost a unanimous decision. And his other losses by stoppage came to Danny Garcia and Errol Spence. So he really has mixed it at the highest level. And I think this could be interesting because, like I say, if Vargas is able to draw Conor Ben into a fight, it could be excellent to watch. Not so much if you're a Ben fan, but if you're an, you know, um, I was going to say amateur, I'm not sure why. If you're, if you're a, what's the word I'm looking for? If you're kind of sitting on the fence, if you're an outsider, if you're a neutral is the word I was looking for. Um, it should be good. It really should be good. If Conor Ben decides to keep it smart, though, and start boxing and not get drawn in, then it's his fight. You know, it's, it's, it's probably going to be one way. But all the best to both guys there and also to Sammy Vargas in particular because um, Bones Adams is his trainer, obviously. Bones Adams, friend of the show. But so is Nigel Ben now. So all the best to both guys there. Hopefully Conor can get the job done, to be honest. Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Over here, Jerwin Ancahas defends his IBF World Super Flyweight title against Jonathan Rodriguez, who's 22-1, and Cajas 32-1 with two draws. Also on the undercard, Evan Holyfield, who is 5-0 in a four-rounder there against Nicholas Compton, who is 2-3. And, and the main event, in fact, another fight to mention before that, Amantas Stanionis. Never heard of this guy. 12-0, but he takes on Thomas Delorme, who's 25-4 with a draw. That could be quite interesting. Um, it's actually a decent card, but the main event... It's going to be on Showtime, by the way. The main event, Jaron Ennis, 26-0 in a 12-rounder against Sergei Lipanets. I love this fight. Um, a lot of people thinking that Ennis is just going to walk through Lipanets. No one has ever been able to walk through Lipanets. Let's get it right. Lipanets 16-1 and with a draw. Um, obviously, we know the one loss came to Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia, such a special fighter. And we have to remember he was dropped in the fight, but he got back up. Mikey couldn't put him away. And Mikey puts a lot of people away. Um, I think the fight being up at welterweight obviously favours Ennis and... I wouldn't say Lipinets is in the form of his life. He's coming off um, a draw last time out for the interim IBF world title. But, you know, he was able to end the career of Lamont Peterson by by uh, by a KO in round 10 late on um, back in 2019. So he carries power late. He is a strong, strong guy. You know, 
Um, quite a high KO ratio himself. I really, really, really like that fight. I've had Lipinets on the show before. I wish him all the best. But Jaron Ennis, you know, everyone says he's going to be so special. This is the kind of fights I've been calling out for for him. And um, I'm going to be watching that once again with an eagle eye. That's a great fight there. Eddie, you've unmuted yourself, so I'm guessing you've got something to say on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, like, uh, this really gives us an option. I mean, I gives us a chance to really see what Jerron Ennis is all about at the highest level because he is really close to that. He's, he's that right at the cusp of being, a, obviously he's been a former champ and all, but at the cusp of being elite, elite, you know what I mean? And Jerron Ennis, as though he's a contender now, he's moved from prospect to contender. He's still, people are still looking at him like, we want to see him really tested. And I think Lipinets is the perfect guy for that. You know what I mean? He gives him a little bit of power, boxing, uh, durability, the toughness, the whole the whole nine yards. It's a perfect kind of situation for Ennis to really showcase his ability. And I think he's going to do well in it. I'm not going to say he's going to stop this guy because you know, not even Mikey Garcia was able to do it. But I really do think that uh, Jerron Ennis is a really, really, really special talent. You know, the kind of guy that comes around there that doesn't come around that often. You know what I mean? That kind of ability. You know what I mean? Very fast, can fight from the outside, can fight on the inside. Southpaw orthodox, extremely good, good defensively. He's a juggernaut. He's hard. It's hard to imagine anybody being better skill-wise than him. And he still has good power and, and explosive power, you know, from either side. So it then becomes now, was it because he was just overmatching everybody? And then when he steps into the ring with somebody like a Lipinets, who, who is clearly a, a top 10 guy, you know what I mean? He's 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 really he's he's got he's a championship level fighter. This is going to give him a chance to really prove that he belongs, and not only that he belongs, that he can step into that elite elite level. You know what I mean? When we're talking about him in a conversation with guys like you know Terence Crawford and and um, you know I don't want to move too fast because he's still not gotten the title yet himself. But you know he beats this guy. He's going to be in the conversation now. He's really going to have to – you're going to have to start really paying attention to him. And, and, and not saying that he's been ignored, but you're really going to have to start paying attention, attention to him because these guys are going to have to start fighting him. You know, the Earl Spences and even Danny Garcias and guys like that are going to have to start fighting him. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting fight. I'm going to really want to see this one. And I'm anticipating that he's going to do something special that night because he has to. And um, I think this guy's going to force his hand as well. So it's going to be a good night. And one very interesting factor that I'm going to just bring to light here, for anyone that doesn't know, um, obviously, like I say, um, Ennis has got the power and stuff like that. We know he's he's been knocking out a lot of guys. This is a huge jump up in class. Lipinets carries power late. Lipinets obviously is very tough and durable, like we agreed on Eddie. He, you know, he couldn't. Um, you know, Mikey Garcia couldn't get rid of him. Ennis has never gone past six rounds. If it does go into the second half of the fight, because remember, this is um, this is a 12-rounder, this could get quite interesting. And that's what I want to see. I want to see that that uh, that question answered. You know, I want to see what Ennis' gas, gas tank is like, you know? We want to we wanna see him test it. We want to see him actually have to face some adversity. I mean, I don't want to see him have too much adversity, but I think he he's such a special talent that it, even if he can't go in and just storm the guy and take him out, he's going to outclass him. And that's what – an outclass, and what I mean by outclass is just 
he's gonna be too slick. He's gonna be he's gonna be too tricky. He's gonna have he got I think he has too many dimensions, honestly, for Lipinets. Even though Lipinets has a you know he's well rounded and he's tough and durable and strong, but I think he's you know it's like I always like to use this this analogy when I was in there with Thomas Adamek and everybody swore that Thomas Adamek was such a great boxer. And I'm not saying that he can't box, but I'm just saying when you're in there with a true boxer. But a guy who can really be slick on the outside, good defensively, understand understands range, and and it's just it's it's a different world when you're kind of just gifted. Oh, you know he's a boxer. Why? Because he moved up in weight. But when you looked at Tomas when he fought at 175, he wasn't no boxer. He wasn't a boxer at all. He was a come forward, you know, take a punch to give a punch type of guy. You know what I mean? I'm not saying Lipinets is in any way like that, but Lipinets is a good boxer against other good boxers, but not special. You know what I mean? If you put Lippinets in there with a Terrence Crawford, I feel like it'll show. You know what I'm saying? He's He still will do well because he's just that kind of guy, and he's going to do it. He's going to do what it takes to, to be competitive. But I just don't know that he'll be able to compete boxing-wise at the level that Ennis is. We shall see. I'm really excited for it, and do not underestimate uh, the corner of Lipinets, which of course Ooh. nowadays features Joe Denim Jacket Goosen. So uh, <laughs> we shall yeah, see. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> Moving out now to the Osage Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Over here, a man we all want to see win his fight. Um, Joe Smith Jr. Can he become the WBO light heavyweight world champion? Um, it's been rescheduled, obviously. It's finally happening. I think it was originally supposed to take place in the bubble at the MGM Grand, but it's been moved to Oklahoma. Joe Smith Jr., 26-3, and three, friend of the show, 12 rounds against Maxim Vlasov, 45-3. and three. Really looking forward to that. On the undercard, Effia Jagba, 14-0 in a 10-rounder against Brian Howard, who's 15-4. and four. That's it for that one. And the final fight to mention actually takes place at the Thomas Gymnastics Training Center in South Carolina. Over here, friend of the show, Malik Warren. He was on probably a couple months ago, something like that. Um, he's 4-0 with four KOs, I believe. And he takes on Cameron Kane, who's 1-12. That's over six rounds there. All the best to Malik Warren. But anyway, that's it for... All the talking, we did the review part, we did the the news part at the start of part two there. We had the first guest on, like I say, and we've just done the preview part of the show. The final thing to do, just before we wrap this up, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated light heavyweight, formerly ranked in the top ten with a WBA. It is, of course, Mr. Joe Fournier. Joe, how you doing, my man? I'm great, buddy. Great to hear from you again. Yeah, same lockdown in London. Yeah, lockdown in London. Uh, same old, really, and it? it's just gone on for so long now. It's like uh, I don't know. It's just become like a way of life. I've almost forgot about what it's like to go out. But I've seen that you've had quite the exciting uh, lockdown. I've seen you like in Italy, Miami, everywhere on the WhatsApp stories. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of been uh, trying to trying to avoid it and keep it healthy and uh, staying away from from. Uh, too many crowded spaces but still managing to have a good time there we go man so firstly joe like i say um we haven't spoken on the phone for just over three years now it's been quite a long time um how's things been in that time as well for you 
Oh, you know, things have been good. Just been head down, just grafting mainly on my business. I'm a box, probably why we haven't spoken. But just been, you know, just getting myself sorted, really. You know, as you get older in your mid late thirties, you know, it gets a bit stressful with certain things, family and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. But I kind of got my head straight, started training again uh, uh, last February, and I uh, got a fight in eleven days. And obviously you haven't boxed since I don't actually know when it was because I think your last fight isn't on box record, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's not on box record because yeah. they're just box record. It's fight facts is actually, no one knows it's weirdly enough, but fight facts is really what the commission go by. Box record is just a private entity website owned by a miserable couple that just uh, don't like me so they don't put up all my fights for whatever reason. So so but how long have you been at the ranger? Uh, just over three, three, four years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, in your lengthy time out of the ring, uh, did you ever let yourself go and you know put on weight or whatever? Because, like I said, it's been a long time, and you don't really live the typical life of a boxer with everything else going yeah, on. Man, I gained forty pounds. I became a fat bastard. <laughs> I was boozing, having a good time, eating pizzas every day, burgers, gyros in Greece, and Mykonos down there. And then uh, COVID happened, and I actually was in Miami. I had a fight lined up to fight down in Miami, which I've never done, so it was like quite a big deal for me. And then uh, COVID started, so the fight got cancelled, and then they kicked us all out of the hotels. They gave you like a week to get out of all the hotels here in Miami. So I took a took a plane to the Bahamas, and I was my mates were meant to meet me in the Bahamas. I was the last plane to land. They closed the airports, so I was on the, I was on a big mansion on the water seven bedrooms, private beach, but no one else there. And I had a fridge full of food and a fridge full of booze. And I thought, you know what? If I start drinking that, I'm going to be, I'm so fat as it is, I'm going to go to a different stratosphere. So I ended up uh, deciding that as long as I, there was a lockdown, I wasn't going to drink. So I didn't booze for, I ended up not boozing for five months, but I didn't booze for two months in Bahamas. And I lost about 30 pounds two stone um, and then I just started training slowly slowly like I could, at first I could only run about 10 minutes and I was like 12 minutes 14 minutes just built up built up built up then I found myself kind of like getting close to you know a real fight weight so I had a summer off enjoyed my work down in Greece and then um, came back and uh, MTK signed me um, after the summer kind of October time it was announced and um, they were really supportive, you know, they really showed me like that there's a career path for me with them and they have a great network, super professional, probably the the best kind of management I've ever worked with, to be honest, in in anything, to be fair. They're really professional. And then um, that motivated me because, you know, when you've got people to believe in you, because, you know, it's like I'm a businessman and a boxer, you know, so people always are, oh, he's got a shit, he's crap, he's, he can't do this, he can't do that. Whereas MTK were like, don't worry about any of that. We're proud to have you. You're part of the family. And so that really meant a lot to me and made me train harder. So then I started sparring again, started feeling good. And then I got the call from uh, Triller, who did the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight. And they said, do you want to be on the show? So I'd already signed the fight, a different fight, not the guy I'm fighting now. And, um, and then I came to Miami and I got a contract when I was here. And, uh, and then it was on, you know, down in Atlanta in 11 days, April 17th on pay-per-view, which is a big deal, you know, like, 
I'm from Hounslow and I'm on a show now with Justin Bieber singing Snoop Dogg commentating. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So obviously that was like, shit, I've got to get my ass into gear. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned there the fight takes place next next weekend, April 17th on Triller on that Jake Paul, Ben Askren undercard. Um, yeah. I was going to say, Joe, how did this opportunity which is kind of random, come up. You pretty much went into that there. Um, obviously, with MTK now, it's it's kind of giving you that shot in the arm, if, if you like, for the, for the next chapter. Um, you're fighting this guy, Raycon. I've got to be completely honest. I don't know anything about the guy. I've only just heard about him. Um, how did this... Yeah. Where did this stem from, this, this altercation, this beef you have? So I actually had a different opponent, and um, that was already agreed to fight... Uh, and then um, I was out for dinner with my lawyer out here in the States on a Sunday. Um, I was over a girl, actually. I went to the bar, and on the way past the bar, um, this girl smiled at me, so I stopped to just talk to her. And the geezer just put, shoved me in the back, and I asked her if it was a fella. And she was like, no, it's not my, not my guy. So I continued talking to her. I just ignored him. You know, sometimes you get Larry people trying it, and I'm quite a calm personality. I don't never get into street fights or any of that nonsense. So I went back trying to get a number, and then I got really shoved over where it like pushed me right into her and her two mates. Obviously, then I reacted. Uh, security getting them with He's with twenty of his mates. They're all tooled up. You know, in America they all got guns. So it's like, you know, so I was like, holy shit! It's just me and my lawyer, and they got 20, 20 of them. And so the the owner of the place knew me. He he asked them to leave. They left. Now I started getting like crazy death threats uh, on Instagram from like people in Colombia, and he's like the Justin Bieber of, of of Colombia. He's a big deal, basically. He's the biggest like rapper out of Colombia. So um, I just DM'd him and I said, "Listen, man, where I'm from, we just get in a ring and we sort this out like one on one, not with twenty of your boys around. So if you want to step in the ring and fight me for real, let me know." And he read it and he blanked me because obviously he didn't fancy it. But I tagged him and posted that he'd read it on Instagram. And that got picked up by like a bunch of news wires. And then he, 40 hours later, tagged that and said, let's do it. So then I told Triller, did you rather have him? Because Triller's a, a boxing and music. It's like a lifestyle kind of app. So they they were originally music-based. So to have a musician against a boxer is kind of cool for them because it's kind of a hybrid mixing up of um, two industries. So they said yes. He said yes. He signed the contract. And my next question has to be, did you end up getting that girl's number or what, man? <laughs> you know what? I just If she's listening, hit me up. Joe Fournier on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think she got scared, you know, because there was a lot of them. And then she was kind of got a bit afraid. So, And then um, she just obviously scattered off. So I never got to actually get her Insta. Well, hopefully she's tuning in April 17th. Um, yeah. You've also got this beef with with Jake Paul, which when I was when I heard you speak about it before in another interview with a different channel, it it really yeah. made me laugh, man. Um, it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Surely, surely you're gonna call him out after the fight. You have to. <laughs> I've called him out like three times, but like you know, uh, there's this crazy thing here in America, like where like YouTube and like Instagram is like the be all and all of everything. And, like, everyone's scared of him. It's like, I call him out and I say, come on, fight me. Be a man. Like, you know, you, you heard that other interview. I called, I told him I was going to take his missus off him. I told him all, all sorts. He never, he just called me, he said, tell that old man in England to shut up. He kind of ignored me. Obviously, he's swerving me because 
I, I am a real fighter. Definitely, I'm a real fighter relevant, relative to him, right? Because, you know, he's had two fights. Um, and he knows it would be a tough day's work. And also, um, he wants to avoid, you know, he wants to avoid someone that can really punch back. You see his last two professional opponents that were not really boxing background, you know? And I can't hate on it because then he's got a huge platform and he's getting paid $10 million to fight on my show next week. So you can, how can you hate the guy? You've got to respect the fact that he's at 24 years old managed to find an angle. But uh, the beef basically is he, his coach, BJ, who's mate of David A, that originally said that he put me in a coma if he fought me. And I was in the Bahamas and I was training back then when I told you what I told you about already. And I was like, I, want, I ain't having it. I bet him two million pounds to get in the ring. He bottled it. And then started to talk like from far away, you know. And then that's when now I'm like on the same show. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna be uh, definitely gonna be putting on him. And I got a little surprise for him that night, so he better keep his eyes and ears open. Wow, there we go. There we go. Exclusive. Um what what is the plan after this fight, Joe? Um, you know, have you got ambitions of returning kind of to box properly, no disrespect, but this is a, a little bit circus-like, obviously, but it's okay to do so, I guess, uh, in this current climate with the rest of the stuff going on. Look, you know, I think, I think like, um, I was never really super accepted by the boxing kind of uh, real boxing purists, yeah? True, true. Because I had no amateur pedigree. Um, I kind of could sell a lot of tickets and, and, and pay-per-view. I had a bit of a brand, right? So I, so people would prefer to have me as a 2-0 and fighter on a show over a guy that maybe was a Southern Area champion, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like, you know, uh, getting a degree at uni and then just making more money as an entrepreneur, you know, like what you're doing. So it was kind of like I cut the corner a little bit. So I can understand, it was understandable when people would, you know, say, like, how can this guy be fighting or how could he won this? But at the end of the day, on the night, it's a fight. Yeah, it's one guy that's 175 pounds, another guy that's 175 pounds. And if someone was breaking into your house, you wouldn't ask him what his amateur record is. Yeah. So this is why people are watching these fights out here in America. Is people just want to see the entertainment of two people just beat the shit out of each other, right? And so this suits me kind of, in a way, because. It was, I was never really accepted anyway by the, the boxing purists. You know, like a Dimitri, if you said Joe Coyne is going to fight Dimitri Bibble, everyone would laugh, right? But in this world, I'm like the real boxer. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm the one with integrity. So it kind of it played into my hand, this kind of entertainment slash MMA fight. Like, imagine I fight like um, Jake Paul. Now, he's a big guy. He's actually weighs, he weighs more than me. So him fighting me, people think, well, hold on. He's, if he beats Ben Askren, who's a UFC veteran, that's a good fight. That's a genuine fight. Like, I'm 38, he's 24. He's just been on a roll, fighting, fighting, fighting. He's got 14 years age gap between him and I. Uh, no, hold on. Yeah, 14 years. Like, I lost my virginity in Hounslow when he was minus one. He was a, <laughs> weren't even a sperm yet. So, so at the end of the day, it's like... That could be an interesting fight. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I've trained like a real professional fighter for this fight, wherever I'm, who, regardless of who I'm fighting, because it's just that, that, that discipline. Otherwise, you don't take it seriously. 
And, um, man, I'm sore as hell. I'm, I'm not recovering like I used to. I'm getting concussed. Not concussions, but, you know, them headaches after sparring. And, and you know, everything takes three, four days when it used to take four hours. So I'm feeling the heat. So people would want to watch me against Drake, you know. People would want to watch me against the MMA fighter, uh, like uh, Nate Diaz or uh, Jorge Masvidal or one of these guys, right? Because that's kind of entertaining. Like, how good... Me against Dimitri Bivo, no one was going to want to watch that, are they? No, I know what you're saying. You know, me, maybe me against a, like, a, a big, tough NFL player. And me, a big, tough DJ. Like, people, it's entertainment, isn't it? So, I think, like, for me, what Triller is doing is kind of the future. Because on my pay-per-view, it's not just boxing. They've got Justin Bieber singing a full concert. They've got Snoop Dogg commentating. They've got Doja Cat. They've got Soweetie. They've got um, uh, the Black Keys. So... They've also got, like, Frank Mir, the former UFC champion, fighting uh, Steve uh, Cunningham. Steve, Steve Cunningham. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, in his own right, was a world champion cruiserweight, right? The guy's ripped to the bones, but he's given away 60 pounds at heavyweight to Frank. So as you people want to see that. What's really going to happen is the purest boxer who's giving away 60 pounds going to beat the heavyweight UFC guy. Who knows, man? And I, I felt sorry, actually, for Progress and uh, Red Catch because at the press conference in Vegas, when they come on, no disrespect because they're world-level fighters, yeah, and I respect that because I, I wanted to be, you know, is that good one day technically, you know what I'm saying? But when they come on the press conference, all the press left. No one cared about the real fight. Wow. People just want to see these mad mashups. And I think if you look at it across the board in other industries, like music, number one is when a house DJ does a track with a hip-hop artist. You know what I'm saying? Like that purest, purest, I only do this genre. That's changed now. You know, like remember when grime didn't exist and everyone's like, yeah, but no one listens. It was all pop. Now grime's number one. You know what I'm saying? So there's trends. People want to see new things and... I think what Triller is doing is really capturing that kind of Y-gen, uh, Z-gen population. So in answer to the question, it sounds like this could be something that we see again from you, perhaps on another Triller card, rather than coming back to the UK, for example, and getting involved in some sort of domestic dust-up. That's what it sounds like. All right. So, okay, let, let's let's hear a domestic dust-up, right? Okay, so what's my benefit? Let's Let's pick, like, the top three guys. I haven't been in England in years, so I don't know exactly who's leading, but I, I like uh, obviously Buatzi, yeah? Let's say I fight Buatzi. He's an Olympian, bronze medalist, undefeated. The guy's a real killer, yeah? I fight him. Who cares? No one. I fight Anthony Yard. Who cares? No one. I fight... Uh, who's the guy that beat Anthony Yard just now? I had a great chance. Lyndon Arthur. Alexander? Lyndon Arthur. I beat him. No one cares, right? So why would I go back and fight these guys, but no one wants to see me fight them anyway. Mm. <laughs> you, you get what I mean? Like, people want to see Lyndon Arthur fight Buatzi, two purist boxers, got to hit the head, right? People probably want to see me fight Diplo, the DJ, you know, because he's been training, actually. He's been boxing a lot, and uh, he, he's been training, like, for real, for real. And, you know, let's see them two fight. You know, people want to see entertainment, and I don't think that, you know watching me go and go back to England and fight in the summon area and then, you know, build my way up and get called out by, you know, like Rocky Fielding or whoever, like, who cares? No one gives a shit. And unfortunately, that's just what's happened in boxing is people want to see more, especially now 
you can't come into the arenas and it's all televised and it's all production. It's turned into a different game, you know, I believe. And and if you look at, like, McGregor and Mayweather, like, the record number they did when an MMA guy, you know, fights a boxer. People like that shit. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. You're right. It It definitely... It definitely makes makes money, and you know, it gets attention. It captures, like you say, different industries. Um, I want to ask you, Joe, how many fights do you plan to have this year, or do you not know just yet? So Triller have two more shows. They have one in June in Miami. Obviously, I'm a Miami guy. I'm a train down here. It's at the Miami Marlins Stadium, which is the big baseball stadium. So you can imagine from a kid from Hounslow, like, I fight in the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Atlanta with Bieber singing, and then I fight on the Teofima Lopez undercard, right, a legend who, you know, what he's just done in boxing, with Travis Scott singing at the Miami Marlins baseball stadium. I mean, why would I go anywhere else? Why would I go and fight anywhere else but with Trevor? Okay, so maybe we'll see you how many times? Two or three times this year at least? Yeah, look, I spoke, when I spoke with MTK, they wanted to see me back out in June if I do well again in June on the trail, there's an Oscar De La Hoya's making his comeback. You see the headlines that made, right? And that's going to be in Texas. Uh, so I'll already be around stateside. So maybe I'll get to do June, July if I keep winning. Probably then take my, uh, take my vacations. And then I'd love to do a big Dubai fight with MTK maybe uh, towards the end of the year, you know, like, because I saw how big the uh, Jamal Herring fight and Frampton fight was and just a great spectacle for the region. And obviously... Uh, I love Dubai, so um, and MTK have a big, a big um, presence there. So as my management, I'd be a, an awesome one to go down there and fight in November, and then see. And I and I want the fight to get harder. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I just want to go fight DJ and cab driver and whatever, and just keep keep the gravy train rolling. I don't mind fighting things, but right now, relatively to what I'm getting paid and the hype I'm getting. And the building of the brand, it just makes no sense to go and fight your call for five grand and fight a killer like, uh, you know, Boazzi. Why would it, it make no sense, right? It's like me telling you, I'll quit your job, go do a way shitter job, it's way harder and get paid a quarter of the price, you know, or a tenth of the price or whatever it is. No one would do that in their, in their um, you know, and, and, and remember, I don't have the time. I'm not 21. That I don't have the time to like start again and go back to England and fight through the ranks again, you know. But yeah, no, and yeah, the way you break it down is is you know it's honest, and I think if people actually listen, they'll understand it. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, just before we wrap it up, Joe, man, if you've got any closing words just to listeners, like I say, I remember getting you on. I think it was before one of De- David Hayes' comeback fights, all that all that long time ago now. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and we haven't spoke since, like I say, about three years ago. If you've got any closing words, my friend, just take it away. The floor is yours. Yeah. Well, actually, what I want to say is, you know, England's always uh, was where I was born, always in my home. I know, you know, it's not boxing related, but I just want to say anyone that's been having a tough time down there, you know, I will also have tough times and been in the same boat. This can't been really hard for me. And I just want to just tell everyone, take every day as it comes. And, you know, when there's a dark day, there's always a better day than, the, you know, coming coming to you. So just stay positive, everyone back in the UK. And uh, and just, you know, I always set myself little goals. Before I fight in 11 days in front of 20 million people worldwide, I couldn't run 10 minutes this time last year. So 
in any goals that you set yourself, just set yourself short goals, achieve them, and just try and push the marker. And like I said, I've lost 40 weighing day. It will be 58 pounds from how fat I got. So that was my own challenge between my mental health and my physical health. So if you listen to this, stay positive, set yourself little targets, and try and achieve your goals the best you can. And uh, if you want to support me, my Instagram's at Joe Fournier. And uh, always listen to Box Hard Podcast. This guy put me on when no one gave a crap about me. Everyone's slagging me off. So I'll always have to make time for you. I appreciate that, Joe, man. Listen, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for your time. Best of luck, April 17th. And I'm sure we'll catch up sometime after. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, and this wraps up episode 286 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the reigning WBO Super Featherweight World Champion, Jamel Herring, and of course, the multi-million pound entrepreneur turned light heavyweight contender, Joe Fournier. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. If you do get a spare couple of minutes, please leave us a review on itunes it truly means a lot enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week